Is it live? Da. Hello, madam. Hi. What are you doing here? Oh, I'm just visiting. I'm actually an exchange student. Ah, exchange students. That is so fun. Yes, it's great. Uh, are you enjoying a beverage here in Germany? Yes, yes. I just got this and it's pretty good. I mean, I I love being here so far. It's a pretty great country. Uh, yes, Germany is the best. It's the motherland. Yes. Um, But before I can let you enjoy your beverage a little bit more, uh-huh. could I please see some sort of identification? You mean like my ID? Sure, here. No, no, ID. Not, not ID. I need to see Vax. Vax Pass. What if I don't have it? You don't have Vax Pass. Mm-mm. Oh, no. I've uh, already uh, had COVID, so I don't, I feel like I don't, didn't need it. That doesn't matter. What matters is you have the Vax Pass to come into the restaurant to eat and enjoy your chili beverage. Okay, well, I don't have it. So what, what are we going to do from here? I don't. Never really gets to this point. Most okay. people just have it and comply, but okay. we are going to have to kick you out of the country. Okay. I was trying so hard to keep it together and I couldn't do it. Thank you guys so much for joining us on Will and Amla Live today. I'm not Will Witt. I'm Amla Panobi. This is Will Witt. Yeah, this is Will Witt. Although, yeah, yeah, you might have confused him for a German police officer because that was very convincing. We've also got Taylor here. Taylor's back today. Welcome back, Taylor. (laughs) You just welcome back yourself? Yes, I feel very welcome. Yes, we are so happy to have you. Well, welcome back, Taylor, and welcome back, Will, for the second day this week. We're also going to have a special guest on the show today. Do we want to reveal who the special guest is, or do you want to wait? Oh, tell him. Jack Posobiec is going to be on our show today. So he's running a little late because he's filming some stuff, actually, right now with PragerU, a new stories of us, which is very cool. So he'll be kind of popping in, sneaking in about 10 to 15 minutes, hopefully, if things go right. But before that, we're just going to get into all the stuff that we're talking about today. But before we get started, I know you guys want to hear all the stories we got. We're talking about Germany and Vax passes. We're talking about these racist people on Twitter. A lot more stuff, things with Jack. But today is Giving Tuesday. What that means is that nonprofits are asking people to give charitable donations to help them out. Giving Tuesday is a very special day. You guys went all out on Black Friday. You went out on Cyber Monday. You spent some money to, to you know, buy things for yourselves. Now let's try and do something for other people. Okay, so PragerU is a nonprofit, if you guys didn't know. So you can go to PragerU.com slash donate to donate for Giving Tuesday today. By you donating, that helps keep our videos free. This show is free for you. All the other videos are free for you guys. Everything we do, we want it to be free so that as many people can access it as possible. The only way that that is possible is by generous people like you donating. So for Giving Tuesday, go to PragerU.com slash donate. We are very close to our goal, and we would really appreciate it if you helped us out on this special day. Absolutely. You know what we don't appreciate, Will? No, I don't know. <laughs> you kind of did know because you brought in the accent. I don't appreciate, uh, you know, German officers asking for vaccine cards. Here's the video out of Germany of what's happening in this country in regard to COVID-19 vaccines. Guten Tag, Bezirksamt Hamburg-Mitte, das Gesundheitsamt. Führen einmal eine Kontrolle durch im Rahmen der Eindämmungsverordnung. Perfekt. Haben Sie sich alle hier registriert mit den Kontaktdaten? Bei Friseuren gilt optional noch das 3G. 
Now, I know you guys can't understand what is being said here, but essentially what these officers are doing is going into different uh, places of business, trains, any places for transportation, uh, restaurants, and checking people's vaccination status. Fantastic. I love knowing that in any moment I can be approached by a police officer who wants to know my vaccination status and my personal health information. And if I don't have uh, a vaccine card handy or my personal health information to, you know, break HIPAA and, and give to these people they can kick me out of whatever establishment i'm in yeah it is quite crazy it, it is, is quite cra- people are, i don't know it's really hard to tell with europe on what's going on because no one in the mainstream media is going to report on this yep. so you basically have to find underground videos like this all over twitter or on social media and because of that it makes it hard to decipher what is actually happening but when i'm posting things about what's happening in other countries and data and things when it comes to covid and all that i'm having these people from these other countries message me and tell me what is going on and i can tell you from this is, I don't want this to be anecdotal, but I, lots of people who are messaging me from these European countries like Germany and saying that things are just getting worse. You know, people are freaking out over new variants. Uh, they're, they're mandating the jab for things that even in America, they're not mandating it for. I mean, it's just the tyranny is increasing tenfold in many places across the world. And, and it's increasing in ways that, that we in America aren't seeing. You know, I think we are seeing it in some places in America, but a lot of America is still relatively free. Uh, But in other places around the world, it's getting pretty bad. It's getting even worse. Yeah, I have a friend, uh, one of my best friends from Florida is a foreign student uh, over in Europe, and she spends a lot of time in Germany and in Amsterdam uh, and constantly is having to be COVID tested, even though she's had COVID, she's got the antibodies, constantly has is having to get tested because they won't allow it without you having some form of papers. Again, that shows your private health information. They won't allow you to do anything, to go to the gym, go to restaurants, whatever you want to do. Uh, it's just really interesting. And I, I am open to the arguments that a lot of people, and in some countries, the majority of people agree with these regulations and mandates, but that does not mean it's not a violation of people's freedom and liberty. And even though that's more sacred in America than I think it is in other countries, it's still something to be talked about, especially when there is a very vocal minority that is expressing concern over their freedoms being taken away in all of these countries. 40% of young people in America say that if you say something that is offensive to a minority, then you shouldn't be allowed to say it. I mean, you go to UC Berkeley campus and you ask them, which I did, and you ask them if free speech is allowed. I mean, many of them say no. So just because a lot of people say, oh, these mandates are great. We should have these mandates. Mm -hmm. does not mean that they have any clue what they're talking about. They don't have any clue what they're talking about. If they knew what they were talking about, they would know historically that these types of measures always end badly for the the general citizenry of of whatever country that it is. You know, the Germans have throughout history have been a, a hardy people, an industrious people. When when Germans came to what? <laughs> That's just an interesting way to describe it. I've never heard you say that before. Yeah. A hardy people. They're a hardy people. I mean, <laughs> what I mean by hardy is that mean, but... like they can they, they deal with torment. Yes, they deal yes, with, yes. you know, things that a tough place like like the Germans who first came to America, the Germans who went to Brazil, the Germans who went to to Eastern Europe and all these other places, you know, really influence those cultures. I mean, they are German people throughout history have been people who always, you know, stand up and are innovators. And and now to see Germany and and so many other European countries and America as well lose the identity of 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 what they have been for literally centuries is incredibly sad. I think that this is why people, you know, when people say like, "Oh, I'm an American nationalist." I'm an American nationalist. You know, people will say like, "Oh, I'm German. I'm a German nationalist." And people will come and paint you and say, "Oh, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't be a nationalist." It is a great thing to be a nationalist. People don't want you to be a nationalist of your country or to be proud of your country because they want to destroy the things that built your country. 
the things that made it what it is. Yeah, it's interesting that pride and patriotism has sort of been attacked uh, largely in this country in, in more so in recent years than ever before, that it's not OK to love the country that you came from, because apparently to them, it doesn't mean anything. And if it does mean something, it means white supremacy or racism or patriarchy when that's certainly not the case. And you have to wonder the people who don't want you to be proud of your country and where you live and where you're from. Why is that? What is their goal in, in painting you in that light and trying to express that agenda? and that sort of propagandized view of whatever country it is. It doesn't matter if it's America, Germany, Australia. Why would somebody want to do that other than to alter the very foundation of the country that you live in? I know. It's like thinking about Australia. Like, excuse me. Uh, when you think about Australia, sorry. <laughs> that was a gross one. When you think about Australia, like before the COVID pandemic, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, Australia, it's a bunch of like tough dudes punching kangaroos in the face <laughs> who don't give a crap about anything. And that might you know? be true. Like that's, that's like, that's what I figured Australians were like, drinking beer all day, you know. And now I'm like, wow, Australians are really not like the, <laughs> the things that I thought about them, you know? Yeah, I will tell you what, I've met quite a few Australians in the past couple of weeks and they all say the same thing about Australia is that what's happening in this country, although it's being painted as like tyrannical and totalitarian here in America is really not. The people are complac complicit in it. They are uh, very much in agreement with it other than a small, again, very vocal minority in this country. And uh, I remember one, one of them said what Australians are the type of people that don't cross the road until you tell them to. And that's a really interesting way to, and he's Australian himself. So this is not like Australian hate speech. <laughs> this is like actual, an actual view of what a lot of people in the country are like and seeing the sort of policies that's come out of Australia, especially when it comes to uh, gun ownership and the COVID-19 regulations, that doesn't surprise me to hear a statement like that. No. And again, I mean, throughout history, I mean, Australia has been a much tougher country throughout history too. I mean, they started, if you believe Australia is real, whole conspiracy there. But you haven't heard this? No. You haven't heard this? No. Have you heard Have this? Have you, Taylor? Uh, no. I, no? That I've never Australia, heard that Australia is not Australia real. Australia is not real. They say that people who live in Australia, they're actually just living in New Zealand. It's, oh, not, no. a, it's not a real place. That sounds like and you piss a lot of people off by saying that. No, I, listen, I'm not saying it's true. I'm just <clears> telling you the conspiracy. Yeah. Like the, the ships full of all those those prisoners and inmates who started, who went to Australia, mm -hmm. the ships actually sank. And then they told people in New Zealand that they were in Australia. That's the conspiracy wow. Now I'm losing my train of thought. What I was trying to say <laughs> is that, but, but even through that, Australia for a long time has been a country that has been dedicated to, you know, to, to strength in a lot of ways. They've, they've been a tougher, hardier, again, hardier population. You know, they're, they're not, they haven't been historically a weak country. And now, I mean, all of these countries are just losing their identities. All of the, the Western countries, they tell you, oh, it's okay if we let in all these, these hundreds of thousands of refugees and all these illegal immigrants into your country. Your culture, it doesn't matter. You need to get with the times, okay? This is all about multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is a great thing, right? We should let anyone into this country, no matter, even if these people do genital mutilation to women, it's fine. Just let them yeah. into our country. <clears throat> let them set up places in Frankfurt, Germany, where now Frankfurt, Germany is is more of a... a, a immigrant population than it is native Germans now. And this is happening all over Western Europe. It's happening in America with illegal immigration and they are trying to destroy your culture. Okay. They want to destroy your culture and tell you that it's good for you. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a horrible thing. It's, it's really the loss of culture in these Western countries is what 
will potentially be one of our biggest downfalls. And what's unfortunate is that people listen to an argument made in that light and immediately paint it as Islamophobic or or xenophobic or you're you're just a racist, you're a bigot. That's not the case at all. Do we want immigration? Is immigration healthy uh, for countries? Absolutely, it's healthy. Legal immigration is extremely healthy, especially when done with. I know Will has some Will has some disagreements. I can see it, but it's. It's healthy when done correctly. And when done correctly, it allows for assimilation into the culture that you are entering into and an understanding of not only our laws and the foundation of our country, but the values that our country holds and the traditions that our countries hold. And if you allow this influx and this surge of illegal immigration without those steps taken to become a true citizen of whatever country you are entering into, you're creating a bad situation. And that is not a narrative that is meant to push Islamophobia or xenophobia phobia or whatever phobia term you want to use it is simple fact it is simple fact you can see this being carried out historically you can see this being carried out in different countries now there are bad effects and not only are you harming the people who live in those countries as citizens but you're also harming the people who come into these countries illegally and those who are trying to get here legally everybody is being harmed in this situation and again you must always think of the hidden victims of your policies if you want to do immigration if you want to make our immigration system easier in terms of legally immigrating here let's have a conversation about that but let's not just say let's open the borders and let whoever wants to come into this country come in yeah i mean legal immigration is a good thing when the people who are coming in want to make your country a better place Mm -hmm. i am against legal immigration if the people who are coming in hate this country just because someone came here legally and they hate america does not mean that i want them in this country doesn't matter where your race is where your religion is i don't care about that if you love america and have a, a, a tenacious attitude and want to work hard Come in. Fine. It doesn't matter to me. And you have a culture that isn't going to, you know, eradicate my culture. Fine. But when you when you have a a, a a hatred for this country and everything that it will potentially give to you when you come here, even if you came here legally, I mean, that I don't want that regardless. Yeah, no, and I think uh, a proper legal immigration system vets for that and and takes that into account. You have to get to know this uh, country's history. You have to take a citizenship test about our values. uh, And and that is helpful in getting people who truly want to be Americans because that should be the prerequisite to becoming an American is understanding what it even means to be an American. If you come to America, you want to be an American. You don't want to be, oh, I'm a, a Swede living in America. You can still have your Swedish culture, mm-hmm. but you want to be an American, first of all. When you come to this country and you get your papers and you live here and you're a legal citizen, you are an American, okay? That should be your, your first priority of God, then country, okay? And, and, and you realize that you are now a part of the, the greatest system to ever be created in America, and that is what you represent. You can have your culture and all those things that, that is from your other country. That's great. It's, a melt, it's in ways a melting pot. But you are an American first and foremost, and when you come here... You better represent that. I mean, you know what? We just saw with Inez Cantor. He just became an American citizen. Amazing. He Amazing. loves America. He loves this country. Yeah. So and, happy to have him. Yeah. And what, he's what? Swiss born, I believe. Uh, and a completely like different Turkish, culture. You know, he's like ethnically Turkish, yeah. I think. Yeah. So a completely different culture has, uh, you know, assimilated to American values, still carries his culture with him, which is a beautiful thing. That's one of the greatest pieces uh, in the American journey and in our countries that we have all these people that represent different cultures, different religions, different values, different foods. But we share 
the Americanism, we share American values. And at, that's something that we can sort of create a web between all of us, regardless of where you're from and, and what you practice and what you do in your daily lives. It's uh, supposed to be. Yeah. Not so much anymore. But Not that's how it's so much to be. anymore. You know, yeah. That's the great thing about, that's why I, even though, you know, Los Angeles sucks in a lot of ways, but I do love Los Angeles because it feels like you're, you're here with the whole world. Yep. Which is cool. You know, it, it's like you get food from all these different places. You get businesses from all these different places, culture, yeah, you architecture, have Koreatown, like little all, Armenia, all this kind of different yeah. stuff, which is so cool. I really like that about this city. You yep. know, I feel like I would be, get a little stagnant if I was somewhere where there wasn't all these different cultures. Yeah. It's the beautiful thing about America and it's something that we need to harbor and love and, you know, cherish and facilitate more of, but we're not doing that anymore. Right. Now we're telling people like, you're not from here. You don't share our values, but you have a right to be here and you have a right to take with you whatever values you want and you don't have to assimilate. You don't have to learn about our country. You can just simply enter it. And we'll tell you to come to court in three days, but you don't have to. Uh, and we'll tell you there's a citizenship process, but we're not going to expect you to go through with it. In fact, uh, there's a story about now allowing citizens to vote. I know. Well, New York is pushing ask, for it. When Germany and, and Italy were, when they were coming in and Irish, uh, or not Irish, but, but German and Italian people were coming into Ellis Island back in the day. I mean, these people would come to America and yeah, they had their like German ghettos and their Italian ghettos, but these people like taught themselves English. They, they eventually integrated with all the schools. I mean, th this is how it worked, yep. right? That, that, that was a good, they started businesses. They started businesses where everyone could come to. I mean, that is how it is supposed to work. And yeah. they love this country. They were happy to be here and escape whatever it is that they were escaping from, or at least just get a different type of opportunity, you know? And it's weird now because, I mean, the opportunities don't present themselves. And this is a conversation that we'll get into, hopefully, when Jack is back on the show. We're going to talk about the American dream and are we facilitating that in our country anymore? And what does the American middle class look like? But I have a, a friend who's from uh, Iraq and she comes and she's here now and she's a citizen here now. But she talks about like the American dream and how she feels like it's not at all now what it had been painted to her as uh before she came here and it's a really interesting conversation that we will get into later but let's talk about oh, well last thing yes sorry controversial take controversial but, take what's new but now <laughs> now you get deemed a racist if you say that everyone in america should speak english i mean that's now a racist thing to say mm -hmm. you know people will say oh you can't say that people can speak whatever language they want i mean if you're in your home or you're talking to your friends family whatever you can of course you can but as, as a national language, English should be the national language. This is America. Something I haven't thought about much in terms of linguistics. Have you thought about that, Taylor? Or do you have a hot take on this? I don't, ha I don't have a hot take, but I generally yeah. agree that you a language is a very powerful part of any yeah. culture. And it, America does need that. It's there's like a unifying effect of like, and it also is like it is the de facto language, you know, official or de like facto language. Nearly but it's not everywhere, yeah. The, the yeah. like enshrined as the official language, but yeah. I don't know. It, it, it I think probably it should be because it yep. always has it been. Be. Well, people will say diversity is our strength. They'll come with all these leftists yeah. and say diversity is our strength. Imagine if you and your mom both spoke two different languages yeah. and you couldn't understand each other. Does yeah. that make for a cohesive family unit? Of course not. That's that's one of the most brain dead things I've ever heard. No, in my or life. like trying to t be taught at school or you right. know, conducting yeah, business transactions. You need, a, you need a unifying language. You a unified do. language, a unified culture of people. That is how you have a great society and a great country. I completely agree. I mean, we when we look at cultures that have died out or, uh, you know, ethnicities that have uh, lost their power, a lot of it is attached to language and losing the language and a lot of... Uh, 
people and uh not necessarily religious groups, but also religious groups that are trying to maintain their culture and their integrity to that culture. It's all about preserving language. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at Hindu culture in India and all the things that yep. they're trying to preserve. I mean, it's, it's all over the world. That's that like France, France, like said no to all these new gender pronouns. Cause they're like super pr protective of their language. They have l'Académie Française, like their, gender. their academy that is in charge of the French language. And yep. they were like, no, we're not doing all these gender pronouns. Like this is the French language. We're not letting you screw this up. Yeah. And that that's nationalism. That's because yep. they have a strong sense of identity and that, that, that unifies their country and it makes them be somebody. There is, when you dissolve and reduce the, our, America's identity is traditionally this entrepreneurial spirit. It's the hard work. It's the, I don't need anything promised to me. I don't need the government yep. to take care of me. I don't want tyranny. I'm fleeing from all that stuff. And I want to go out there, take a risk and establish life on my own, bet on myself and be a part of a country where everyone else is betting on themselves. And uh, I don't need entitlements. I just need freedom. And that used to be what the idea that held the melting pot together of America, you melted into those ideas. And if you come here, and you don't melt in you're just like the the raw potato on the top of the pot or whatever that's like right. not integrating and being a part of the dish yeah. and so the ideas and then the language and all that goes into it but like it's adopting the american identity and that goes above whatever you left because why did you leave there it was inferior you came to be a part of this for the opportunity mm -hmm. to be a part of something bigger to be a part of something historic to be a part of something different and new and uh, that is the american spirit and what it's all about and that's ultimately what makes you american is if you adopt those ideas ideas and those values, not if you get a piece of paper that says you're American so you can collect government checks now. Right. Yep. If only President Macron said that. I mean, President Macron quoted, he said, diversity is Paris is, is France's future. I mean, he's quoted saying that. That is what he believes in. Even though the people, like and you're saying in that poll, them. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though the people, like you're saying in that poll, are like, we, we don't really. France is also the most racially, one of the most racially intolerant countries on the planet. Yep. I wrote about this in my book because because I was talking about racism in it uh, compared to America. But, you know, the people want something totally different than what the leadership virtue signaling actually pushes for. It's true. And it's because these things sound beautiful. They sound so pretty. Diversity is our future. There's going to be people of all different cultures and whatever here. And we're not going to ask anything of them. They just get to be here. They just get to come into our country and to, uh, you know, enjoy the the fruits of our labor. All that sounds, oh my gosh, so great. Underprivileged people who want to be here can come here at whatever, whenever they want and without any sort of vetting and they just get to be here and live the American dream or the French dream or the, the English dream, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Famously, it's not how it works. Any country that has suddenly allowed this massive surge of immigration legally or illegally without assimilation, it does not work. Ancient Rome, baby. Letting in those gothics. Ancient Rome, baby. William Barkenbush, thank you so much for your super chat. We really appreciate it. Now, uh, you know, attaching on to what are you going to say? Before we keep going, I just want to say PragerU.com slash donate again. Just reminding yes. you guys, it is Giving Tuesday today. Please go to PragerU.com slash donate to help us out, keep our videos free, make sure that Amul and I can still live here in the city of Los Angeles Oop, because it's getting harder and harder. Uh, but again, PragerU.com slash donate. We really appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you guys. Absolutely. It is Giving Tuesday. Who are you going to give to on Tuesday other than the best organization possible? Mm -hmm. Prager. I gave to you. Prager U today. Did you guys give oh, like, your okay. donations? I did. I will. 
I dedicated mine to Craig. You dedicated yours to Craig, uh-huh. our boss. I was that anonymous person in Lobster Craig that was posted. Fantastic. <laughs> now, attaching on to the immigration story, here's a story coming out of New York in the National Review here. We, we covered New York a little bit last week to talk about Thomas Jefferson and the statue that the city council decided to take out of New York City. But now, uh, according to their now incoming mayor, Eric Adams, he has a plan to allow over 800,000 green card holders and non-citizen residents with work permits to vote in municipal elections. What is the incentive to become an actual citizen of America? (laughs) For a handout. What is the incentive? You get, I should, I should really just like leave America, throw away my passport and then cross the border again because then I get free healthcare. You You don't have to get the jab. I don't have to get the jab. I can, I can basically do whatever I want. You know, at, the, at that point, America gives so many benefits. I can vote. I can. What is the difference? You know, there's, it's literally in some ways it is better. Yep. In some ways it is better. I work a full time job and I have to have my health care taken out of my paycheck every single month. Yep. You come here illegally. You get free health care from the government. Yeah. What? Yep. Why, why? Of course you're going to be. Of course, why would you come here legally? You can just get it for free. You yep. can vote for free. Why would you do anything? No, of course not. Why? Why would you put in any work? You would. You don't have to. <laughs> Why would you do anything that you don't have to do? And for those of you just thinking, oh, well, millions of people live in New York. 800,000 is just a drop in the bucket. Uh, no candidate for mayor of New York has received 800,000 votes since Rudy Giuliani in 1993. So this is a massive massive jump and I think we have our special guest coming in. So guys, we're, sorry for a <laughs> little distracted. Yeah, yeah come on Sit in, down, Jack. Man. Take a seat. Yeah. Uh-oh. We're, we're having What's our discussions. Is that Uh-oh. Jack? What is happening here? <laughs> Hi. What's all this about? So you guys have like, they gave you like a show? Like yes. what's up with that? Well, we begged for a show. You, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. eventually gave they, it to they, us. they know you're in here though. Like they know this is well, going no, on. Oh, know. okay. Yeah. I see, I see. No, we kind of just stream low key. Right, no, that's right, good. That's right. good. Yeah. Pirate radio, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Very cool. We're yeah. just endorsing candidates, talking about vaccines, just doing, yeah. Just Very based. No, no, Pfizer. It's, it's, Pfizer, by the way. You have to say Pfizer. Pfizer. Very German. Pfizer. Vaccinations every year. You know, we're going to have, it's going to be like the flu shot. You right. know, I love it. And then Jim Cramer, if you saw his little meltdown, military endosed uh, vaccine mandates, just Jim Cramer. The guy, by the way, my, I love Jim Cramer, right? Not only is our stock market picks always fantastic. He was the guy in 08 who was like, Bear Stearns is good. They're solid. You got to keep on with Bear. There's no issues with Bear. Like, oh, I know. Yeah. Why don't you, what, he should really, I mean, he should have the baseball bat out now talking about what's going start on. Start swinging. But, you know, just like, start, start swinging. swinging. But he's, uh, man, all these people. I mean, what's you know, up, guys, though? Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Cool. It's, yeah. It's, great. it's great. Yeah. Fantastic. So before we begin, there might be some people who don't know exactly who you are. <laughs> right. And I think you'd probably do a better job of introducing yourself then. Yeah. So, uh, Jack Wasobic, I do the Human Events Daily podcast with Turning Point and um, also the senior editor of Human Events uh, Magazine now and a former Navy intelligence officer. Um, Polish dissident here in America. <laughs> I don't know whatever. Um, or, or of course, if you're listening to MSNBC, I'm the Russian asset who works for Trump's secret minion, et cetera, Absolutely. Et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I would have guessed that. Right. right. Yeah. Hands down. We'll bring this back to the Kremlin. <laughs> exactly. Later. No, exactly. Right. Send it to him. But you have a very interesting story, man, that, that is 
when people want to label you as something like that, you know, or label you as this dissident or this conspiracy theorist, anything like that, like you've actually been around the world to see things that have been going on that so many other people never really get to see. The people at the New York Times or these leftist blue check marks on Twitter who talk all this crap. I mean, they, they haven't seen the things that you've actually seen. They don't have the connections yeah, you, that you know, have. You know, going and, you know, I, I grew up, we just did the stories of us. It's mm-hmm. going to, it's going to drop at some point when they're done producing it. But, you know, we talked about that and I grew up in the Philadelphia area, a town that just got totally engulfed by crime. Mm. You know, we had to leave because of that and uh, end up joining the military, spent time in China a couple of years, spent time in Guantanamo Bay, traveled all around Europe, um, got got to actually visit, um, you know, the homeland, go to Poland and see where my, my roots are from. We like literally went to the actual village. And so you have all these different experiences and you get to see the world in a much different way, I think, than if you just sort of, you know, a lot of these journos that I meet and, you know, some of them are just complete reprobates, but other ones, I, I think they mean well, but they just don't understand anything they're talking about. So it's like they grew up in a wealthy family. They went to an Ivy League school. They got the, you know, townhouse in Brooklyn and now they're working for some whatever job. They're not getting paid anything for it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because mommy and daddy have money and I have a trust fund. And so they're writing about all these things, but they're using like, you know, what they consider uh, journalism is going to Google and then pulling together like the top three results on anything and being like, oh, I'm an expert on this. I call it Google IQ, right? They think they have Google (laughs) IQ. And it's just sad. This is like bread tube is like that, by the way, if you uh-huh, ever go watch yeah. those debates, I know yeah. you know what I'm talking about where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I found a source that said this. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like who can right. Google faster right. instead right. of just actually sitting down and having a discussion about what's going on in our country. And for me, it's actually kind of sad because just a couple of days ago, there was a student at Temple University in North Philly where I went who was murdered mm. and the he was in the poli sci department. So the poli sci dean uh, or the chair came out and was talking about that. So Robin Kolodny, 15 years ago, she was my professor. And, you know, here's this kid though. And the one thing that she mentioned was that he was a huge defund the police guy, that he wanted less police, that he wanted, he was a supporter of um, the DA there, Larry Krasner, who's one of these bail reform guys. And it's like, guys, at some point you have to realize there are real consequences Mm -hmm. to these actions. You're losing students of the school to this kind of violence. You got to say, you know what? I hit rock bottom, right? It's a rut in, in the addict community, they call it, I'm not an addict, but when in that community, they call it hitting rock bottom. When you realize that you've just been smacked in the face by reality and oh my gosh, I've been on the wrong path. I've got to wake up and get things right. And it's like, when are these cities going to realize that they're hitting rock bottom? Yeah, what does it take? I mean, it comes to a point where, you know, even if the general populace is reaching rock bottom, I mean, we are just plebeians to many of these people who are in these elite positions, right? From their neighborhoods, from their ivory towers, now their their glass towers in, in corporate America. They don't have to deal with these same things that the normal American has to deal with. You know, when it comes to oh, yeah, crime. yeah, so, exactly. Like, so th- that's something that happens to the to the help that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. Look at San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like that is a, like, so how do we how do we go from 
how do we make these people realize that there is a rock bottom? Because they're never going to realize that there is a rock bottom if they never have to experience it. If the people all around them are, but they aren't. I mean, how do you? How do you? So I, I am seeing that? glimmers of it. I mean, let's face facts. You know, a former police officer was just elected mayor of New York City, mm -hmm. right in the middle of the defund the police movement. Yep. So literally one year after, right, the um, the defund the police movement started, you have New York City, which was clearly um, biggest city on the East Coast, one of Ameri one of the most powerful, influential cities in America, and they elected a police officer, their mayor. And, and look, I know this guy is not like some big conservative or anything no, like that. No. I'm not saying that he's great, but I am saying that just when you look at it on this issue of crime and what I see that's going on in our cities, at the end of the day, there are more of us than there are them. And people do have a breaking point. And when you sever that basic social contract, right, between the people and the government is, is safety, right? This was the idea of, well, I don't have to, you know, you go back to the, this was the founding of civilization, right? Well, if we have all separate farms and we're going to spend too much time defending them, then actually being able to cultivate our field. So if we pull together in a town, mm -hmm. then we can pool resources and some people can defend, some people can work the farms. And this was the start of civilization. I think that agriculture and, and pooling towns, people generally understand that. So that was the idea from the start. But when you start breaking that down, but at the same time that they'll crack down on that, or excuse me, they won't crack down on violent crime in the streets. We'll also have absolute medical tyranny mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, don't let that mask go below that nose there on the flight there, kid. Don't let that, that two-year-old's upset that they have to wear that strap to their face. You better put that on there or they're going to get kicked off the flight. And so you have a system of anarcho tyranny, right? So it's combined, right? Yeah. And, you know, vaccine passport, if you want to go to a restaurant or something like that. And people can feel, they can feel the discordance, they can feel the cognitive dissonance in our government. And I think you are pushing people towards a breaking point. I'm, I'm just waiting to see what happens, though. Like, uh, I think San Francisco is a prime example of this sort of stuff oh, happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're doing these just malicious, crazy mandates when it comes to COVID-19. The stores are getting robbed. There's homelessness everywhere. People doing drugs in the streets. Your mayor is clubbing, <laughs> as as we've seen on Twitter in the videos of her. At what point? I, I, I just don't know where the tide changes when you're seeing all of this happen in tandem in this one city. So we were just in San Francisco, and I was there with Tanya, and... Um, we both speak Mandarin mm -hmm. and one, you know, she went to linguistic school. I learned it in the military and I was living there. And then we wanted to go because I had always heard that San Francisco has this like fantastic Chinatown, right? Mm -hmm. One of the, the country's oldest Chinatowns so was, hey, let's find a place where we can go, you know, practice a little bit, get some good Chinese food. So I found an authentic, like really Shanghai style Chinese food. I was so excited, right? But here was the problem all the places in Chinatown mm -hmm. closed at 7 p.m. Like you couldn't even go past then to go, if you want and forget about dessert, right? right? So we go in, we finally, we're there at like 6.45. She lets us go in. We're, we're so happy. We're speaking in Chinese. And like, I lived in Shanghai, so I can even speak a little of like the Shanghai dialect. Mm -hmm. And she was like really, really happy. Cause you know, I think when you show people that you had enough respect for them and their culture, yep. especially as an immigrant to learn something of their language, to learn something with their home, it creates that instant relationship, instant rapport. And then the first thing she says, though, is, by the way, do you guys have your vaccine passports? Do you guys have those? Ugh. And it's like, oh, Just man. And it, sharp. Because, but you feel, you feel for her, right? So she's sitting there. She's got her business. She came to the United States. She wanted to start her 
company. She wanted to find her American dream. And now the Asian community in San Francisco is being completely decimated by crime. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the government's going to shut you down, right? If you don't get the vaccine passports. So you've already got people who are worried to go walk down the street. And now you're being told that you have to turn people away if they don't have the vaccine passports. It's ridiculous. And so people like that, I have to imagine, and I feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. I feel bad, but I have to imagine that they're going to look at their margins at some point and you know economics is economics right if it gets to the point where it's not worth it they're going to close up shop and who could blame them no i mean it makes sense i mean we were talking about regulations earlier today Mm -hmm. and like if you go to boston and you immigrate here you're just some citizen and you want to start a small business like a restaurant and you want to get a liquor license it's like four hundred thousand dollars to get a liquor license oh yeah in oh yeah that's a fiefdom yeah. total fiefdom i mean it's insane it's insane just to be able to serve beer and alcohol beer and wine at your place right that's not even for hard liquor that's just beer and wine at your place and it's like you have all of these different government regulations and bureaucratic stuff happening to make it so that really no one has the opportunity to start a small business anymore it is like they want mm-hmm. to throttle small businesses in this country and destroy the middle class so badly so that it's just the upper echelon companies well, and the, the, the big corporations i mean the liquor licenses and this i come from pennsylvania and i've known this for a long time the way that we do it there is it's it's a hierarchy right so the they want there to be liquor licenses and um only you know make a very high barrier to entry for that because the larger companies, the larger restaurants, the distributors, the people that have this, they don't want you to be able to go anywhere yeah. else to be able to get this stuff. And they want a very high barrier to entry so they don't have the competition. So you really have a situation there where you've got, it's not, it's like, it's not just the government, it's the people making money off of it who are then donating to the government, you know, people in government, they people lobby on the liquor board, regulations. they get the, they get yeah. it through the lobbyists. So it's this hand in glove kind of relationship that of course is going to screw over the little guy. And you're someone who's out there and I don't personally drink, but I mean, you could apply that to so many other industries right. there that prices are going to go higher. You're going to have higher barriers to entry and forget about trying to get into that business. Good luck. Right. Yeah. I guess let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the American dream. Does it still exist with all those barriers to entry and all those prerequisites that you have to get into? It's like if I wanted to open up a a hair business or start painting houses, now I have to go to cosmetology school, which again is going to be paid for by the government through these scholarship programs and all these things. And I'm in debt for that. And then I have to try to find a business in these places that don't uh, let you buy storefronts. You have to rent them out now. It does the American dream still exist for people? I think that one of the things that I'm seeing that I actually really like is you're seeing on it. it so they call it the great resignation, right? Mm-hmm. That people have been talking about where with, you know, this one of, and, and as ridiculous and terrible as the lockdowns were in the original, you know, kind of iteration of COVID that, there's been a lot. So like the anti CRT movement came about because the lockdowns, they're getting educated over zoom and people could actually look right. over the shoulder and see what's going on. And like, wait, you're teaching my kids what, and now you've got the Loudoun County and that's going across the entire, entire country. But that only happened because of the lockdowns. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're also seeing this great resignation take place because people had a year off from their lives, a year off from commuting back and forth to the office, sit, sitting strapped to a cubicle for nine, you know, nine, 10 hours a day, then sitting another hour in traffic. And people are saying, why did I do that? for so many years. Mm -hmm. It's just literally putting a huge pause on everything. And so that's why so many people have resigned. You can't actually find, like we're hiring for my podcast. We're trying to hire, um, with Turning Point, we're doing like trying to find like a middle mid-level producer. And it's like, there are people that just aren't in the market anymore because they're out working for themselves or they're doing something else. 
And it's this huge, great resignation going on. So you can find people at the high end or you can find entry level, but that middle, it's gone. Mm. So I think that's in many ways good because you know what it is? People are turning to be more entrepreneurial. People are going to places like Fiverr. People are going to the gig economy. People are realizing that, wait, I don't have to go work for some massive corporation. I can work for myself or I can start my own small business through Instagram, Etsy, Mm. whatever it is. And you can do this direct sales kind of thing where a lot of those government regulations that you talked about, like being able to open a storefront, it's almost not necessary anymore. In a lot of ways, like they barely check Venmo and things like that. But do you think it comes to like a problem when it's when so many of these industries that people They'll are catch getting, up. They'll catch you think? up. Like yep. the doctors and like engineers and things like that will catch up in a way where it's Well, no, like, I mean the IRS will catch up. That's one of those yeah. things where like the, the, the most of the one time where the government bureaucracy is incredibly as efficient is when you owe them money. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's like, boom, you get the email like the next day. I right. know. Yeah. I know. I've, I've had to deal with these people. It's the worst. <laughs> and auditing is like a political tool just to defeat your enemies. Oh, 100%. So, you know, when it comes to those highly skilled, like what we used to call the professional fields, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like lawyer, doctor, uh, CPA, et cetera. I think I still, I mean, look, right. You know, we're, we're now seeing more telehealth, right? You can talk to a doctor on the other side of the country or from a different country over telehealth, and then they can refer you to somebody out very quickly. So I do think that through technology, you are seeing a lot more of this entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. and no, it's not the traditional American dream, right? but you're looking at new systems coming up and then also talking about, you know, universities, colleges, you know, you've got YouTube now, you've got Rumble now, mm-hmm. you've got so many ways for people to get education that you don't have to go massively into debt for. And so, yes, unfortunately for some industries, you are still going to be locked to those certificates. Yep. But for basically for a lot of people there, you can go on to, you know, places like Prager, places like so many others, learn skills, learn information, get all that knowledge that you don't have to go into debt for. And then you realize, hey, I can figure this out. I can make money this way. Why would I go back to that I mean, old you can way go, of doing things? You can go on YouTube and you can, in essence, complete uh, uh, English literature class oh, yeah. in like a mm-hmm. day. Oh, yeah. Which is the videos and things that you are watching. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me like the, the liberal education model has failed entirely. My new favorite thing on that is even um, even different podcast apps. So I like Apple Podcasts, but Spotify right. is great too. So I'll take a topic, right? Or I'll take like uh, a name, right? I want to learn more about this thing. And you can just type it in and like, hey, find all the podcasts that are about that topic. And then you can go and now I am an auditory listener and or auditory learner. So mm-hmm. that, that is something that really helps me. But for people who like the visuals, obviously there's YouTube rumble that are out there. And we're just living in this amazing information time right now where, you know, today, by the way, I don't know if you guys know, it's Mark Twain, Samuel Clements' birthday, right? It's Mark Twain's okay. birthday. And we mentioned that cool. on uh, on my show today. I do like I do like a history moment every day. Mm-hmm. And um, Mark Twain actually had that great line that I love it. And it's so applicable to today. Never let your schooling interfere with your education. Amazing. Isn't that perfect? Yeah. Very, yeah. very cool. Mark Twain, born in 1835 yeah. today. And go even farther back, Epictetus. I mean, talking about you can't teach a man something he thinks he already knows. Exactly. You know, it's, exactly. It, it's like when people go to school and, and get this information and they think that they know things because they have knowledge. It's like you can't confuse knowledge for truth. Knowledge and truth are two totally different things that, that I think people say are the same thing, but in, in essence, they're totally different. There's that great meme 
that uh how's it go it's uh one it's information and then it's like all these colored dots mm -hmm. on the screen mm -hmm. and then the next one is knowledge and knowledge is the dots are all connected and then the last one is wisdom and all of the dots are gone except for two right <laughs> so like you Very you cool. know right which two you need to boil it down to and mm -hmm. I've, I've always said that if you are an expert on something you can explain it simply and be right 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 because yeah. if you can simplify something and get it down then you actually have mastery of that that's why people say when you see someone who's a master at their craft they make it look easy right they make it look easy because they're that good mm -hmm. yeah what i'm ready to see phased out is the people saying well i majored in poli sci so i know what i'm talking about yeah. and you know it's like <laughs> I, I had can, a guy yeah i had a guy on twitter today um because i said that uh what did i say i said that 90 percent of academic research is indistinguishable from bad fan fiction and uh this guy was like you can't say that i have three degrees yeah and you're completely wrong and i'm like so you were stupid enough to go and get three degrees and you and you're arguing with some guy on twitter <laughs> like, yeah they think that 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 sort of elitism respect me yeah, exactly. it doesn't work it's like know? tell me what school you went to okay cool i'm gonna type that in really quick tell me what you majored in okay cool here's your entire curriculum on a piece of paper and i can download all the books and i know exactly what you read and exactly what you did right, so what have you done right with that right what, what have you accomplished who, who are you as a person we've we we and that's how things used to be in this society by the way right like or in this country where like thomas jefferson didn't go to law school but mm -hmm. he eventually he just taught himself law by reading books right. and then went on to become a lawyer and that didn't used to be considered a barrier to entry to all these different things and so it was it really started with sort of the end of the 1800s the industrial revolution we adopted the german model of education in america yeah. where it's education by assembly line right the idea of we didn't used to have these letter grades and the idea of mm -hmm. like this class to that class and you're moving up. It's a very German idea, right? Hierarchy, right? So it's all a hierarchy. It's all a system. Everyone's pushed through. This is, this is like so German, right? The very German way of thinking that, but prior to that, it was mastery, right? So mastery of something. So you would learn something of English. You'd learn some Latin. You'd learn some Greek, be able to read the classics mm -hmm. in the original language, read the primary source documents, read old books, read your great book series. Um, then you're going to church. So you're learning, you're getting your theological education, you're getting mm -hmm. your spiritual upbringing. And then, yeah, you've probably got a math tutor that comes by is teaching you math. So you're mastering those different mathematical concepts. So you can, but again, so, you know, you might need to learn that if you're doing some woodworking, you're doing some carpentry, you can understand numbers, you can manage your finances, you know, all of the, the idea of debts and credits. And there's a reason they want us to keep us all financially illiterate, right? right. In this country, they don't teach any of those things yeah. anymore because what is done? What was it made for? Right. The, the German model of education was made for obedience. So it's an obedience school. What are you taught? You're taught to sit down when the bell rings, stand up when the bell rings, mm -hmm. to not, not raise your voice. Instead, raise your hand and wait to be called on, um, to not speak out of turn. And then it's regurgitation. So learn instructions, repeat instructions, learn instruction, repeat instruction. You're not making creative and articulate. That's People. not learning. Not that's, at all. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's creating. Sounds exactly like what I've been that's creating. You sound like, that's no. Oh this gosh, sounds exactly, here we go. This, I said, this uh, is... you got to ask a question. Do you abolish <laughs> the public schools? <laughs> I mean, I think there needs to be a transition period, but yes, eventually. I'm for reforming that? the public schools. No, abolish yes. them. The model, He's for this abolition. This is what I was saying. The model that we have of the public schools is just not a way to teach people how to be critical thinkers. It, it, we can have education centers Yes. But it can't be public, the public school system, if that's what you're saying. Right. So, you know, one thing that happened during the lockdowns, like we were just talking about, where people were pulling their kids out of schools and they were saying, look, I don't want my kids to be in the school anymore. And they said, but what if we 
pulled together with some people in our neighborhood, for mm -hmm. example, or people in our area who are like-minded. And we found a teacher who was out of work that was willing to be hired to come in and be a tutor for our kids and maybe maybe a dozen kids, you know, all at once. And, and they could come and if we all pulled our resources, you know, get them maybe like, mm -hmm. you know, 60, 70, 75 grand uh, a year to do that. And I'm like, congratulations, you just invented the one room schoolhouse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think that's, that's, you know, people can be intuitive and ingenious and like figure things out where, you know, they say, oh, well, there's not always the opportunity for people to do that with their kids, taking them out of school. But, you know, in, in my opinion, I mean, you chose to have the kids. And if you chose to have the kids, I mean, you have a responsibility over them. And if you think they are being indoctrinated or not taught critical things, I mean, you have to figure out a way to. Right. Well, I do think I do think that we need, we need to get back to an economic system in this country where you can raise a family on a exactly. single income. I 100 yeah. percent agree with that. I I think, you know, I wouldn't say I disagree with the great Andrew Breitbart, but I would add something onto what he said about politics is downstream from culture, and that. Politics, he's right. Politics is downstream from culture, but culture is downstream from economics. So when in this country, when we made it so expensive to raise kids mm -hmm. and that you've got mom and dad are now both working, right? That was an economic situation that led to a cultural situation that led to a political situation. And so I think that as conservatives, we do kind of need this sort of like Mm, call it like a system update. You know, it's like you want to push out that system update. Like it's like it's Apple telling you, hey, it's time to update your system yep. to say, look, there are economic issues that do need to be solved structurally so that we can get back to this point where we have strong families, where we can have the single income families and where your education is, of course, going to you have more time to be able to focus on what's going on with your kids education. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, silver lining of the lockdowns, right? is that we realized that we had been putting this on autopilot for so many years, for a generation, just completely put on autopilot, send your kids to the school. They got you know the best intentions, but they didn't know that these were like Marxist indoctrination centers right. that kids were being taught. And it wasn't, you know, it's interesting because um, I, uh, you know, I, I had, you know, it's sad, but I had this, got to see that video of my professor on the news today talking about um, the kid who had been shot in Temple. And she was a great professor. And I give her all the respect in the world because even though like she's a lefty and we disagreed on every single issue, she was always supportive of me and she was always supportive of what was in my best interest, given, you know, my political leanings mm -hmm. and what I wanted to do in life, et cetera. So she always taught me to better myself and wouldn't, she wouldn't argue with me about a certain issue or whatever. She just knew that we were, that, that was a line that she wouldn't cross. And we did used to have teachers like that, right? Yes. We used, and they were, <laughs> they were the best teachers. We're like, you wouldn't know what they believed or they'd be able to argue both sides and mm -hmm. joust with you a little bit. And they were just there for putting the students first. So those are the kind of people you need. So yeah, okay, they might have their own political opinions, but they're not forcing it on you. I had a left-wing teacher, this was maybe two years ago, who I, for some reason, saw it on Facebook. It was my teacher in high school. And she posted and said how racist and horrible and all these terrible things about me. You know, this That's was my, my high school teacher. And all these other That's students wild. from my class are like, yeah, he's a racist now. I was like, okay. You, you should have respond. You should have responded and be like, "I learned it from watching you." This way, <laughs> who, who radicalized you? Yeah. You did, Mrs. Marchese. <laughs> you. <laughs> um, but no, it's like it's it, and I. It, truth be told, I actually did go to her Twitter and scroll down to see if she had mentioned me at all. She hadn't, but um, 
you know, it, it, it is kind of this weird thing where we have this situation now where they don't look at the students as people. They look at as, mm -hmm. you know, brains to be molded for the revolution yep. and that they are there not putting it's it's the same problem in journalism right now, too. So you go to any journalist journalism school, any J school and you talk to one of the students and say, how are you major journalism? That's cool. Why did you pick journalism? Why don't we go to journalism? And they, and they'll tell, they always tell you the same thing because I want to change the world because I want to change the world. You'll always mm -hmm. hear that. And it's like, OK, oh, that's fine. But that's also not journalism. Yep. That's activism. So mm -hmm. go like go do something. Else. Learn about the environment and go be an activist. Yep. Go do that. Fine. But get out of this because you're not a journalist. But then the teachers are teaching the same thing that like there's journalism, there's information, and then that has bled over into uh, the education side because you can only be educated to one set of narratives. And this this is why critical race theory started with critical theory, which goes back to Marxism. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Wikipedia has like deleted all that at this point. There's like some, <laughs> working on there's it. some yeah. good, there's some good memes going around where they like uh, show you the Wikipedia article from like 2014 and then show you the new one from 2015 or, or 2020. Mm -hmm. I think the one was on cultural Marxism and 2014 was like, oh yeah, it started with this Marxist idea and class differences, but we're going to apply social and economic mm -hmm. um, division to this. And then you go to 2020, it says cultural Marxism conspiracy theory. <laughs> It's just to me. Okay. In regard to the education system, Wikipedia, things like that, that's rock bottom. That's another instance of hitting rock bottom. How do you get yourself out of that? Will would say abolish the public schools. I still don't agree with it, but <laughs> how do you get out of the rock bottom that we're in right now, particularly with education? Well, with, with that, I mean, it, it, it <laughs> honestly, like, I'll just be frank. It has to be top down. It okay. has to be top down. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, remind me, are you, have either of you guys gone through the Claremont program yet at all? I got invited to go through it, but I haven't no, done I haven't. it. Oh, you got to do it. You both yeah. got, I highly recommend go do it yeah. because this is, this, these are the types of questions that they actually, you will sit down and spend a week talking about just this question. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we keep coming back to is that it has to be top down, right? There's, there's a, cause you'll always hear this thing about. Oh, well, in, in this community, they had this center that opened up and it was really good and, and mm. helped people out. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But there's a reason that stuff doesn't scale. Right. You know, it's because that that may have worked there because of specific situations or, you know, one or two really good people that were super dedicated to a project. And they had the financial backing from donors or like one, you know, champion on the city council, whatever. Right. Yep. There's always like a magical situation that makes that work. And it's great. And I'm glad that that happens. But when we are talking about the system, it does need to be a top down approach. And that is why people need to be plugged in all this stuff. That's why. Guess what? Like. If people have issues, I, I always hear that from people. Oh man, like I'm just not interested in politics. I just want to do this. I just want to go over here. You know, <laughs> All it's the like, time. and it's like, I, I just want to grill. It's like the one meme out there. I just want to grill. Just grill. Um, I just want to that. Well, if you care about education, you care about jobs, you care about what's going on in your country that you care about the price of your food and your mm -hmm. gas right now, well, guess what? Like that's all politics. So right. your apathy doesn't help. Any you, of those you better. have to go to a point where people need to go to their own parties, their own parties, right? And the mark of an effective lobbyist is getting your own side in line. Like you can attack, like I could sit here and attack the left all day and it's mm -hmm. like, it's fun and I can have a good time, but like, they're never going to listen to me. So the mark of my success is being able to 
go to the right and say, what are you doing to reform these situations? What are you doing to work on education? What are you doing to protect us from big tech crackdowns and censorship? You need to do these things because this is the side I have influence with. You're the GOP congressman. I think it was last week. They're out on the steps with masks on outside with yeah. the trans flags. I mean, perfect. This is so I mean, perfect. This is yeah. so bad. Doing the it really doing the so work. so bad that these people are supposed to represent my values as a conservative and they do nothing of the sort. Well, I mean, and what's great, not only like the virtue signaling aspect of it, but the fact that it, they think that that means something that they're actually, I'm helping people by standing in front of a flag and taking a picture. It's like, what does that even do? Like, let's, right. let's say you're someone who actually wants to help the trans community, right. right? Just like, you know, play devil's advocate. What does that do for anyone? Right? No, what they're doing is they're putting themselves in a position of it, like, if you're negotiating, right? If you want to be a good leader, you have to be good negotiators. So you want to be a good negotiator. You always want to maintain your leverage. You want to maintain your position. You want to come to things from a position of strength, not from a position of weakness. Well, if I've acquiesced to everything that my opponent wants, if I've given in to them already and I tell them, I will do what you say, it's like, this is why China beat us without even fighting a war, right? When you see Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks on Wall Street, apologizing to the head of a communist party, mm -hmm. right? You say that to somebody in the 80s, right? And they'd be like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like Gordon Gecko apologizing to Chairman Mao. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Or I guess Deng Xiaoping at the 80s. And, uh, it's, it's because, you know, and I saw actually, I was tweeting about that and I, somebody had commented, they said, it's like we were in a war with China and they won and we didn't even know we were fighting it. I think that's, it's so, so many people you talk to about China and they have no idea that there's any sort of imbalance between uh, us and the CCP. And now I think what's happening is, you know, people like Inez Cantor are bringing light to that. How do you feel about like his position on, on China and what he's doing with the NBA? Well, I think it's good. I think it's good when anybody, look, I've been talking about the CCP for 15 years. I know. Um, I, I lived there. I, I lived in Shanghai, downtown Shanghai. I went to school there. I worked in international business, had the opportunity to stay there. And if I had, I, I could have been very successful. Mm -hmm. um, could have made a whole lot of money and really would have just, just been able to make out like a bandit. Um, but the problem with that was that I knew it was banditry, right? Because we knew that it was ill-gotten gains and everybody knew it. Everybody there that was in on it knew that it was ill-gotten games, but they didn't care because mm -hmm. they were making money and untold amounts of money, right? And whether it's, so it's, you turn the the people of China into the La Beijing, into the old hundred names. That's what they call it, like the deplorables of China, just mm -hmm. like the, you know, the everybody's, the, the, the proletariat, right? The proles into the, they're like your worker bees. And then America gets turned into like your consumer monkeys. So like you just, whatever the new product is, whatever the big screen TV is, whatever the new iPhone is, bye, 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 bye. And you just, oh yeah, I got to buy this. It's the new thing. Right. And you're exploiting all that and you're the middleman. So you're just making money hand over fist. And I really appreciate that Enos is coming out and saying this. I appreciate when anybody comes out and explains that we've hollowed out our country at the detriment of our own wealth for entertainment value, basically, right? We're not actually gaining anything of substance by this continued economic relationship with China. I mean, sure, we should have an economic relationship with China. We should mm -hmm. have an economic relationship with Russia, with every country, right? Um, certainly more of an economic relationship with Poland, but that's you know, that's my personal <laughs> personal bias personal there. A little bit of personal yeah, bias yeah. there. Um, but no, we were actually gonna, we were at a point in this country 
where we were going to be selling selling uh, liquid natural gas to Poland and all of Eastern and Central Europe. And now that's like completely gone now. So how how deep are the claws when it comes to the CCP in America right now? Because I feel like we're in one of those like, you know, those domestic abuse relationships where the people keep telling you, like, he's abusing you. You need to get out. You need to get out. You need to get out when she finally decides it's too late. Is that where we're at? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. You know, it's it's you know, I'm reading this book on Polish history right now and talks about the partition of Poland in the 1700s. And one of the things that kept happening was that. Um, these these corrupt Polish nobles were constantly being bought off by the great powers nearby. So the Prussians, the Russians and the Austrians. And they realized, like, why I, I can't make any money by serving my people, but I can make a lot of money by selling out my country to these separate, you know, powers. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing that's going on with our leaders in China today. And so I'm reading this book and I go. Oh, okay. So it's just the same crap all over again, where our leaders and you, you call them CEOs, you call them senators, Congress. I mean, look at the Feinsteins, look at Pelosi, look at the Bidens. Like I've, I've still got a copy of the Hunter Biden hard drive. Mm -hmm. I do not recommend looking at it. Um, but you know, all the sensational stuff aside, I mean, yeah, he's just selling out the country hand over fist and he's the one making money for mm-hmm. from it, right? So you can see it's it's very um very Irish in a way because there's lots of family drama with the Bidens, but you can see that Hunter is the one that controls the money. And then when someone needs something, like Jill will send an email say, "Hey, I need you to send so and so this money." And then using by the way PayPal or Venmo, Biden or Hunter Biden would just do that. Yeah. Right? So the message comes in, so it's yeah, on paper it's Hunter's money, but I think there's a general understanding that it is the family money and you can see that in how they use it. And no one has to take any accountability for it. I mean, I just wrote about this on my Substack today that just came out, which you guys can follow the willwit.substack.com, my first wow. Slick. real post. Slitter right, right in there. Slitter wow. right in there. But I talked about the French Revolution within it and how y- you eventually get to a place where you have such a decadent society that the, the people just get to a point where they're fed up. I mean, I mean yeah. at, at what point oh, yeah. do the people say this is the tipping point? This is the breaking point. The the big banking industries, big pharma, big ag, all the the bureaucrats in Washington, all of these people, the lobbyists. I mean, at what point does it break when when this last straw on the camera? It's back it's the says, same with with anything else. It's it's when when the cost becomes too high to pay. Mm-hmm. When the cost becomes too high to pay. When people realize I you can't do this anymore. Soon? I think it is coming. I think you're actually starting to see it, you know, call it a white pill, you know, as opposed to like the hope, as opposed to despair, the black pill that I think because so many people are talking about it now, because I like, I I literally like, I don't know how to else to explain to you guys. I was talking about this for 15 years and nobody cared. Everyone Mm -hmm. was like, like when I went to China in 06, because I said, I think China is going to be the next big thing. Everybody else that was studying like international relations at the time and all of those, it was remember the middle of the Iraq war, um, pre-surge, right? Middle of the war on terror. People are like, no, you got to learn Arabic. You got to learn Farsi. This is the way forward. You got to learn about these, the Middle East. You got to learn, um, Pashto for Afghanistan, Turkish, you know, right, right, right. Exactly. And, and I kept saying to these guys, I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't know this China and China had only been in the WTO for five years at that point. So it was still like, like on its way. But I kept saying like, guys, I keep turning around and it's like China's here, China's here, China's Mm -hmm. here. They seem like they're like involved in everything. And 
you know, it, it started out as just a study abroad, but I said, you know, I want to learn more about this because I think, sure, the war on terror will be here now, but I think long term, we really need to pay attention to what's going on in Beijing and Shanghai. Yeah, I bet it's not one of those feel good moments to know you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like I wish I had been wrong about that. Right. But, you know, looking at the way that all these things sort of happened and, you know, I wrote something on on Twitter recently talking about this where, you know, the jobs just totally were decimated in my town mm. and crime came in and drugs came in and it was like we we were forced to leave. Like I used to go to the library and by myself and I'd like, you know, bring a wagon to like carry books back. Um, and my mom stopped letting me go because homeless people were stabbing each other in there because they had been let out. A lot of people had been let out if there was um, a mental hospital nearby where my dad worked and like a lot of people worked. Well, they started defunding that. So people were losing their jobs, but then also the former patients were just being let out on the street. Yeah. And so that created a huge homeless problem. Crime got crazy. You know, there were all these shootings going on, drug dealers like right across the alley from us. And eventually we were forced out. And this was this great town that when I was little, it was like you go out in the street and play It's idyllic, right? It's the cliche of I could play until the, light, the street lights came on. We knew everybody's name up and down the street. My mom didn't ask me where I was because she would just call and be like, hey, did you see Jack? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like yep. He was just over here a minute ago, right? And And you knew that. And that's just how the neighborhood was. So I want that for my kids, my, my two little boys, I want that kind of country back for them. But at the same time, I'm not going to forget that there were people who took this away from us. And as I've gotten older, you know, it, it's kind of been this, this journey to figure out what exactly happened and it was cultural, it was political and it was economic. So try to understand like why we had to leave and why we lost that that great community that we had mm. i think that's an interesting stopping point for today unless you have any other i mean there's pressing, a lot more, there's a lot more pressing yeah. we could we could do a full joe rogan style be here for four hours <laughs> and oh use i can go we didn't even talk about gisley maxwell <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's true we, we have a lot I, I literally have uh, it's stories. actually galane galane yeah, I, have to get better. I have to i have to get better at my, i have like all French. these stories queued up that we were going to get into and then we, we just want, the we title of the show is though. about the white genocide stuff on twitter <laughs> okay we so maybe talk about that. maybe we should get to it really quick <laughs> yeah. let's 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 oh, spend a little bit more time if you're okay was that like a clubhouse or something yeah like the twitter space Twitter space. Yeah, it's Twitter space. Yeah, yeah I, I was listening to this live when it was happening. And oh, my goodness, there was some crazy stuff being so what, said. What were you saying? Um, were you, I, were you I did it? not add to this. I <laughs> was like, so I have to work with this I white guy like, on my show. <laughs> add it to the genocide. I was like, Put I him think on I'm going to kill him tomorrow. <laughs> so I, I want you guys to hear the clips before we get into discussion about this. So this that's was, your high school teacher. <laughs> I'm going to preface this with we have a we have some young viewers who watch and some families who watch. If you are a young viewer watching right now, do not watch these clips uh do not listen to these clips if you're a mama showing your kids this show right now uh, turn it off for like uh five minutes and then we'll you can come back and we'll get back into the discussion here are the clips from this twitter live stream with people talking about this here's the title white people deserve nothing not nothing nothing is it like a type of muffin no you wish I it's, do. it's a poisonous it's muffin, a muffin if top. it is if it's a muffin it's filled you with poison <laughs> I have muffin tops. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. have them, man. You're you get older. Them? Okay. These things happen. 30's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> 25 isn't fun. <laughs> 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 Here's the clip. 
first of all, lips of TikTok, let me tell you something. If you're in here or y'all go run back and tell them, y'all ain't got to tell them, tell them that nobody else said shit but me. I'm going to say this and you ain't got to chop shit up. I am for the white genocide. I am for the total erasure of the white race. I, you don't have to chop this up. Yes, I am for all of you white bitches dying like flies. I am for it. I am for it. I support it. I am for putting all you white possums in a gas chamber and letting that motherfucker ring, bitch. I am for it. So you don't have to chop shit up. I'm for it, and I'm going to stand ten toes down behind it, bitch. Simple as that. So you got to chop shit up. You ain't got to screw the shit. Bitch, I said it, and I stand on it. Okay. So who, uh, who is the speaker? This is one of the co-hosts of this. Uh, it just says his random username here. And you may think, okay, this is just one person saying something super extreme. Thousands of people were listening to this. Uh, everybody can react. There was tons of like laughing reactions, emphasis reactions. There's other clips from this live stream of people saying things to the same effect of talking about going to BLM protests and they didn't go there to be peaceful. They came to riot. They came to quote, F up some white people. Uh, also, you know, people will come and say, oh, it's just one person. It's just one person. One person can drive through a Christmas parade and <laughs> yeah. run over children and elderly very people. very true. Right? So just because you have uh, 999 other people who are kind of, you know, saying, oh, this is, we're laughing at it. This is dumb. One person is all it takes to do something horrible and evil who, who gets this idea in their head because the yep. culture now says this is okay. If you go on Twitter and you say, oh, I, I, I think that. I can't even say the word on here because we're going to get banned. If so you certainly think that this medication works, but then you come on like a medication oh, yeah, for yeah, COVID, yeah, yeah. you get right. banned. But if you come and say, oh, I want the white genocide, yeah. that's fine. Well, thank goodness that Twitter has a new CEO who's going to come in and clean up all this nonsense. He right? cares he's, about the First he's, Amendment. He's, he's, he's clearly put out a statement in response to this <laughs> right. and is, you know, taking care of all this, right? Abs right. He's, he's yeah. you know you know, taking care of these issues. One would hope, right? No, absolutely yeah, So not. there was another... There was another Twitter space that and, and and where they were talking about stuff like this that I caught recently. And there was a, even um, it's just in a general statement that, you know, and you, you can you can hear this on like urban radio and things where they will say the host, you'll be listening to them and say, oh, well, you know, this is this like CRT, right? That this is an oppressive society where white privilege rules everything and there are oppressive barriers keeping you down if you're not white. And mm -hmm. it's like, imagine telling that to your kids, yep. right? That you can't make it and that I'm gonna raise you up and I'm gonna put you on a track to, like when you're raised, like the only thing I think about, cause I have two kids, is how do I make them successful? How do I give them the tools to be successful in life. And it's like, we have, um, we have a lake near us, right? And so, yeah, we've got a lock on it. We've got a gate. We make sure they can't just get out there. But at some point when they get a little bit older, actually we have started a little bit, like we're teaching them to swim mm -hmm. because I could try to be super overprotective of, of, of them from the world, but eventually you have to prepare them for the world. And they would never amount to anything if I just told them over and over, you can't make it, you can't do this, there's this excuse, there's that excuse, giving them all this stuff like, you, we're not going to do that. No, we're going to say, yeah, guess what? Life is hard. There yeah. are things that suck. Deal with it. Figure out how to be successful. Find your talents that God gave you and then use them to their fullest potential and you will be successful. Like you got to build people up. Like I can't imagine what it would be like 
like teaching your kids that at a young age. Yeah, that's I mean, part of the plan. They don't want you to be successful. I don't know. Oh, 100%. 100%. So I was taught this from a young age because I was raised by a white radical leftist mother who taught me by being black and being female that life was going to be harder for you. Her vision of that is this is me preparing well, my child for you're the a world. you failure. Yeah, you haven't amounted to anything. So, She's you definitely know. not happy about what I do now, but <laughs> I'll Th- go Thomas Sowell yeah, right there. Yeah. I'll put that on the record. We have a great relationship, ladies and gentlemen, but she's not happy about what I do. Uh, they view that as preparing their children for the world. Like if I don't tell my kid this, they are not going to be successful because they don't have the full scope of what the world is. They believe that systemic racism truly is the scope that people look at the world through. But just imagine if you had a million of these guys like in this Twitter space, yeah. these black guys talking about that like in this Twitter space, or you had a million Ben Carsons, okay? What is better for America? Obviously the million Ben Carsons, mm-hmm. but what person is easier for them to control? Imagine Obviously an entire army of Ben Carsons <laughs> just <know>. marching <laughs> I know. across kind America terrifying. with little like yeah, brain be scalpels. Amazing. But they would, they, would, they, they, might, they might have to take like 10 hours off a day to rest. Yes. But, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> we love you, Dr. Carson. We love you. It's like, what is, who is easier to control? It's the one who you tell no, it's, is it's not a, going to be successful. This is learned dependence. This is learned dependence. And studies have shown that learned dependence is is absolutely a short circuit in our minds that it can happen to anyone yep. it doesn't matter your you know intelligence level or your background that it, it is a short circuit that you can force on people and there's various methods that you know enable to do this and so what you're exactly right they don't want you to have human agency mm-hmm. they don't want you to have ownership they don't want you to be um, in any way able to operate on your own because you cannot be independent, right? If you are forcibly dependent on the system. So you hate the system and you attack the system and you scream about the system, but ultimately you are still tied. You're completely tied at the hip to the system. And that is the problem that we're trying to break. Because as you build up your bureaucracy, you build up your government, right? It is going to exist to sustain itself. And it's going to want to keep people in perpetuity Mm. in this kind of dependent situation. It's a cog in the machine. That was one of the things that woke me up when I was like, you know, advocating for the left and doing all that crazy stuff and protesting people is that like you inherently don't trust the system that you're advocating for, you know, taking control of all your resources, your education, everything. So you're not supposed to ask that question. Yeah, you're not not supposed supposed to ask that question. I hate the system sign up here right yeah. exactly exactly the system you hate so much that is rigged against you you want to control everything in your life i hate the system go to this you know service office right. like, it's like wait hold on but i hate i hate communism let's make the government 10 thousand times bigger to right. control everything we do no and yeah, here's the thing is is when you talk about these issues you know the only way to deal with it at this point given the government the size it is is to take over the government mm-hmm. the only this is the only it is the single entity left to us that where we have the ability to take it over, we have the wherewithal to take it over. And yes, of course, the first thing you have to do is conduct a communist purge of the entire federal government, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care what office it is. Like, like sorry, this just does, this isn't going to work anymore. We're not going along with this. You can either go along with the new regime or you, you know, you, you can find a new work, you can find a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, probably breaking up the uh, Rick Grinnell had that idea of, of taking other people said it too about taking the federal departments and then just dispersing them all across the country mm-hmm. so they're not um, tied down to DC the way they are right now. Mm-hmm. I love it. I absolutely love that. But it's it's going it's still going to be a personnel thing. Like you have to go through, find the communists in the government, get rid of them, and right. then look. I was in the government, right? I was um, I was up for GS thirteen when I got out, 
and I was in the military, right? There are good people in there. They're just not in the leadership track anywhere in the government or in the military or in the intel community. So you've got to get rid of these ideologues that have taken over the entire thing and then put in people who are who are committed to one thing and that's turning it back. Well, there are more people who are administrators than people who are actually trying to do something good. Precisely. I mean, just the amount of people who are administering the EPA or the IRS or any of these institutions, I mean, it is ludicrous how many employees there are and how many people are dependent on, on, these, on, on being an administrator. I don't even know what these people do. What do uh, these people they, they don't do anything. They, they, don't really, do anything. they really don't do anything. <laughs> you know? you know, the, and a lot of it, funny, funny enough, so you know we were, just to bring it back full circle, you know how we were talking about um, Instagramming and mommy blogging and stuff mm -hmm. earlier on? A lot of these people are working on their side hustles while they're in government at their right. cubicles. Right. Oh, we had people that were doing, um, I had this guy who was doing a dating website and you can't do anything about it if they're protected. Uh, there was a girl who was running like a cupcake business out of her cubicle on, on government time, just, you know, Amazing. doing nothing or, or, just, wow. or just bros. Like this is why, you know, and the Glenn Maxwell thing is going on. And um, to touch that. the the when they when people talk about the the Epstein death, right, though, and they say, well, the, well, one guard was asleep and the other guard was scrolling ESPN. And I'm like, that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> it's actually, like that, they're like, this is crazy. How could that happen? I'm like, eh, that's kind of what it's like in the federal government. Right, right, right. Well, let's touch into the Ghislaine Maxwell trial that is going to be coming soon. This Thursday, it officially starts. Uh, I don't even know where to hop into it at first. I think there's a lot of moving characters, a lot of big names that are going to be involved. Although they've said that they're not going to be talking about the massive names that are linked to well, Ghislaine and Jeffrey. today on the plane. There, there was some, there were some names that came out in testimony mm -hmm. today, but what you're saying is that there, so there's two separate buckets of this. So some people right. might mention thing, things while they're on the stand, Yes, but in the pretrial to all this, there was a lot of depositions and document um, you know, subpoenas that came out. And so obviously there's lots of information in that, those pretrial documents. Mm -hmm. And that's what's all being redacted because what you're seeing here with this case is that there's there's two things and one and I've got to say it that you actually do have victims coming forward and that's amazing right that's that's people actually and these they were young girls when this happened like we, and we we shouldn't you know overlook the fact that this is these are young women who are actually taking their power back right yep. this is like I have the conch shell now, right? You know, yeah. I'm going to speak. You don't get to speak. You were the person that abused me. You were the person that set up this network. You brought me in under false pretenses and did these things to me in some cases for like a decade mm -hmm. when you're 14, right? right? So that's amazing. And I think, you know, some of them have come public. Some of them obviously are keeping it private, but they're all heroes. They're all 100% heroes. That's number one. Number two is this is not an investigation. This is a cover up. Mm -hmm. uh, James Comey's daughter is the lead prosecutor in this. What is she there for? To make sure that the narrative doesn't get fa doesn't fall out, that you don't have too much disclosure going on here. They want Ghislaine Maxwell to be the one that they pin this on. They don't want anybody talking about that little black book. They don't want anyone talking about that network of people that was involved in this. Like, does anyone think it was really just Epstein and her? Yeah. Who were the clients? That's what we care about. Who was involved in this thing? Why do you know so many world leaders? Why was Bill Gates, you know, going in and out with Harvard and all these different things? What is actually going on in there? But again, you bring the pilot up who the pilot, by the way, when he testified today actually said he never saw any underage girls. Right. And mm -hmm. 
you know, they just drive right past that. It's like, well, that's clearly not true, yep. right? We know that we already know that's not true. But again, this is a cover up. They want you focused on her. They don't want you focused on the Epstein network. They don't want to give you access to these files because they know what is in there. And very, very powerful people are working to make sure that she goes down and she will be convicted. I guarantee mm -hmm. you she will be convicted. And then they'll say, well, took care of it. Case yep. closed. Problem solved. Country is great again. Let's all drive on to the next thing. Yeah, I saw an article the other day that said uh, Epstein tried by proxy and saying like, oh, well, since we couldn't get Epstein, who was the main and only character in, in this in this massive sex ring, uh, we're just going to get his girlfriend. It's just amazing. Right. They don't they don't want to talk about the operation that was going on. They don't want to talk about what was happening behind the scenes. They don't want to talk about the network and the fact that this was able to operate yep. for over a decade, even after people knew about it. And it's like people say, oh, well, we're with some Republicans. I don't care yep. whoever was involved in this, right? right? This was underage children, right? And trading favors and potentially, you know, I've heard people look at this and say that this may have been a blackmailing operation, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to look at that from a position of, do we even understand how our system of government actually works if we take into account the possibility and the very real possibility in this case of high level blackmail? Yep. It's just I'm I'm gonna be amazed and I'll be following this. There's a there's a Twitter account which I'm you don't run. <laughs> Some anonymous person runs called the Maxwell Trial Tracker that is going to be putting out this information. Let's see how long that Twitter I, account lasts. I got, I got into it with that guy today though. You did? Yeah, because they were they were just putting out false information. And I had mm. to correct them because they said something about so Trump's name came up today. And maybe this was just a mistake and, and that's fine. But so Trump's name came up today and the way they tweeted about it was they said, oh, this contradicts what Trump has said about being on the plane. Mm -hmm. And if you've actually been following this case for the years, like a lot of us have been doing, and like I was ruthlessly attacked when I talked about this case all the way back in 2016 before sure. any of the arrests took place. It was like, you can't say that high level people are involved in that kind of stuff. And I'm like... I'm not saying it. I'm just talking about what's happening and that Trump's name had years ago came out on this. It was back in the nineties. There was a flight. He was going from Palm beach back to New York, mm -hmm. not going to the Island. And he's, he was like, Oh, do I need a ride? Yeah, I can have this. Also, if you want to try to make some political point about this, let's look at the actual history of this, right? Trump found find out about or he found out about what Epstein was up to kicks him out of Mar-a-Lago bans him for life yep. says I want nothing to do with that guy he's a creep so you that a public record on interviews even before running for president oh, even before long I mean, before yeah. and so when that account was like oh this contradicts what Trump has said in the mm -hmm. past about Epstein I'm like all right dude like maybe you just need to do a little more homework or you're trying to get retweets like I I get it like I get it yep. but you're going to get corrected if you try to steer into those waters. Yeah. It's kind of the sad thing about this that we brought up just a second ago is that, you know, even, like you said, Republican or Democrat, I don't care who it is. If someone is involved in this underage sex with girls and they're part of this, yeah. it doesn't matter who it is. And something that's sad when you're going on Twitter and you're looking at this account or looking at the things you're saying and in the replies, I mean, it's like people will stick with party instead of sticking with or going against people i found out predators mm -hmm. i found out about the trump epstein connection in 2016. Mm -hmm. um james patterson was writing a book about uh the clintons and he was going to do a chapter on trump and and or a chapter on epstein and mention trump in it and i found out about it. now that chapter ended up being removed from the book 
And I had heard about this thing going to press. And so I went around asking people, hey, what's the story there? Mm-hmm. What, what did Trump go to that island? Did he know about this? Because if he had, I would have thrown him on the bus. Yep. Right. But say like, OK, I, I can't do that. Like, that's just for me as a Catholic. That's that's a hard line. Like, I cannot be associated with that. And they said, no, no, no. What actually happened was he found out about it and then banned him from Mar-a-Lago. And I said, oh, well, that's, I think, more than anyone else had done. And oh, by the way, he went to law enforcement and said, how can I help? Okay. So this See, that's is my line. It's like, if you know about something, do something. I mean, I completely, like, right. I get it, right? I work in, like, I mean, we're all kind of in politics, media, et cetera. Like, mm-hmm. you, you meet people all the time and you're at an event or you, you know somebody socially through various events. Right but you don't really know who they are. You don't really know what they're up to. You don't know what they're about. And then, you know, proverbially like, oh, there's a picture of you two together that mm-hmm. came out. Look at this, look at this. And it's like, I, okay, I, I get it. Hundreds. Like yeah, such a I get it. It's such a bad faith argument. Right, it exactly. It's a horrible argument to make on people. I mean, the, the uh, like I did an event with Nick Fuentes a couple of years ago and like didn't know much about the guy. when he You did? I didn't even know that. Yeah, it was like, it was with Ali Alexander and some... Uh, Jacob Wool was even there. Oh, of course. Was, yeah, yeah, the exactly. whole the whole crew. Yeah, it was kind of a, a strange event. But, you know, I did something like that before where I was... Well, he was a guy, by was the like, way. He know. was on RSBN at one point. Right, right, yeah. right. Like a lot of the stuff was a lot different back then, you know, than that. now things are obviously different now. But it's like, just because you're there with someone or have a conversation with someone mm-hmm. or talk to them, it doesn't mean that you right, were part I, of Right, but I do think brain. that when it, comes to, when it comes to Trump and Epstein, or when it comes to anyone in general, right, it's what do you do when you're given that, once you have the knowledge, yep. right? once you know about the impropriety, once you know about the issue, how do you respond? What do you do? 100%. And when I saw banned him from Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. kicked him, knowing by the way, his, he, the, keep in mind, this is, this is before the arrests. Mm-hmm. So he still has his connections. He still has his Rolodex. He still has his access to capital and financial markets. Obviously Trump is a real estate developer mm-hmm. in New York and around the country. So he probably got into a lot of issues with anybody who was tied to Epstein at that point. Cause of what's Epstein going to do? He's going to go around and say, you know, screw this guy. Don't take any of his calls. Don't back any of his projects, whatever, whatever. So he took that reputational hit for his business because he stood up for the right thing. And that, that shows me somebody's character. Like, I don't, I don't believe that like anyone's perfect or anyone like hero worship or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But you show me something like that. You show me somebody's character. Fair enough. So where are you getting your information regarding uh, like this trial? People want to know, obviously the mainstream media is not going to report on this uh, to the fullest. Where can people go to stay updated with what's happening right now since it's not getting the light that it deserves? It's tough. It's actually very tough. So there are some people, um, Caitlin Sinclair of OAN is actually going there. She's the New York correspondent. So she's going into the courtroom. Um, When I've covered federal trials in DC, it's the same way, by the way, you can't have media, no cameras. Right. Um, but they do set up overflow rooms and then there'll be this like one little TV in like a separate courthouse mm-hmm. or a separate courtroom in the courthouse. And then on that TV, you can see what's being broadcast. I have no idea why you shouldn't broadcast that to the public. It should be broadcast to the public. Everyone should want to see it. I think there's a reason they don't want these trials broadcast to the public. Okay. And it isn't just hers. I think every single one. Yeah. Why not? We, right. Guess what? We live in that age now. Just do it. And I think it's great. Uh, Kim Potter, this was the cop who had, um, uh, she thought she was tasering the guy, but that ended up shooting him. Yep. They weren't going to live stream that one. 
Uh, I think that was in in uh, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And then they just came out and reversed that and they are live streaming it now. And I think it was because of pressure from Kyle Rittenhouse being live streamed. And so I think, yeah, you know, talking about turning points, I think that with federal trials being live streamed, I think that's going to be a thing that we see in our lifetime. I hope so. And we need to. So, Make you know, for me, people scared to do what they do. If they have to show their faces, then right. And, and come clean for their crimes where everyone can see then 100 percent. You can. That's how, that's how you or or by people. the way, if someone's been falsely accused right. yeah. at the same time, same let's let's consider the evidence. Let's weigh the evidence. Let's figure out what's going on. Yep. And as a society, see, that was the idea. And that's why they do have public accommodation. Like you can go there and stand out for two hours in the cold in New York at the Thurgood Marshall Courthouse in Manhattan, be there, go through your COVID test and be able to sit in the audience or they could just put it on freaking YouTube because mm -hmm. it's the 21st century. Right. Exactly. Right. And so, so what I am doing though is, um, there's a number of journalists that are in the, in the room. Um, I believe, Oh, I'm going to, I don't want to screw this name up because there is it. So they're in the room in one of those overflow rooms and they're doing live tweeting while the stuff is going on. And there are some that are doing a really, really good job oh, of it. Amazing. And just moment by moment, tweeting it out so let me tell you this dude's name yeah, because no, it's fantastic and i don't want to screw it. I, th I think it's inner city press and he's out of new york older guy um he's also doing songs um okay. so like every he does a song of like every day or so yeah inner city press that's inner his name city press here's the the twitter for so you guys he's, want to see. I, I can't tell if he's got anything political or like any, any angle, if he's liberal, Democrat, whatever, but he's there. I think he's doing a great job. Um, Julie K. Brown, who's one of the, one of the journalists from the uh, Miami Herald, who was originally pushing the story or originally got some of the, um, the victims come forward. She's there. She's live tweeting it as well as Adam Klasfeld. So from Law and Crime uh, is there. I don't know if Court TV has sent anyone there because um, somebody. Oh, wow. I'm literally so I'm literally looking at one of these tweets right now. Um, I don't here. I'll send this to you. I don't even know if he can say that. <sighs> something of something that happened in the massage room. Jeez. I know, right? Yeah, I don't know if we should say that. <laughs> well, basically, ba they're they're getting into the a, yeah. into. Well, I won't say that word, but um, it they well actually no correction. It's saying it was we we all were either brought into the massage room or Jeffrey's bedroom where we would be alone with him. This abuse happened, and this is one victim mm -hmm. actually coming forward and saying, "I was fourteen year old years old when mm. this happened." Disgusting. But imagine, I mean, look at the human drama of that of someone who went through that yeah and here they are 10 years later 15 years later right being strong enough and courageous enough to come forward to be in that room with glenn maxwell who was part of this and i should say allegedly part of this that and being able to point there and say you were the person that put me there and keep in mind that they're saying that in front of everyone in the courtroom, in front right. of the judge, in front of all of it. And this this goes back, you know, being able to face your accuser is, you know, that is an ancient right. That goes back to Rome, that goes back to Greece. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, uh, it's is incredible. It's incredible yeah. to me to see people coming forward and do that. It's reminiscent of what we saw with Larry Nasser and those girls. Yeah. And not only did they have to do that yeah. in front of him, but they multiple times came forward with their stories to the FBI to only to be ignored. Right. And I can't imagine how many times it has happened with the women who were involved in this case, how many people they spoke to who looked over this because of power and, uh, you know, the status of these men and women. It's it's uh, yeah, it's like, guess what? You know, the United States of America 
it's an amazing country, but mm-hmm. we do still fall prey to the same types of human temptations and human natures that have plagued every society throughout history. And it's up to us in every generation to say, okay, we're going to reform things or we're going to let it just be on autopilot. Yeah. Or you're going to have more Jeffrey Epstein's. These people are all going straight to hell. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. That we can be sure of. Yeah, undoubtedly. Jack, is there anything else you'd like to say to our audience on this most auspicious day? <laughs> oh, uh, God, God wins in the end. Um, always remember that. Damn you know, right. I know we talk about some, some, some downer kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, that's why God's always there for us. His grace is always there for us. Read your Bible, go to church. Um, if you're Catholic, pray the rosary. I do every day. Um, it, he gave us prayer. Thank God. Right. I thank God for giving us prayer mm-hmm. because when, things seem like they're getting out of control within your personal life or in the country or in the, some of this work we do, you know, the answer is always there. And he gave it to us already. It's always been there. It's amazing. Amazing. Don't fear death. Things will get better. Medieval thinking versus modernist thinking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Have you seen <laughs> yeah. that one? No. Oh, I got to send it to you. Is it a tweet? Or no, like it's, a, it's, a, it's a, well, okay. So it's a meme. It's like, uh, I might've seen, I don't, maybe I just don't know the format. It's, 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 it. I just saw it the other day. It's a um, modernist thinking is like life stuff happens death question mark Mm -hmm. Mm. medieval thinking you know uh you know conceived conceived by grace in my mother's womb um then life happens death happens and then eternity in heaven or hell exactly (laughs) it's like yes that's why there's such a nihilism is the formula there's a nihilism nowadays because people are so afraid of death now well that's what drove nietzsche insane yeah because he realized that this would happen to society if nihilism was kept was brought out of its bottle and that people would go completely insane and so and and that's you know progressivism is just secularists trying to outrun nihilism because they think they can make heaven on earth and at least if they can make heaven on earth then that'll be better than having no heaven at all it's the same idea that the simulation theory is just secularists trying to come up with a way to say that there's intelligent design because Mm -hmm. they realize that it that it does make sense for there to be intelligent design but not having to admit they're wrong yeah right don't get me started on Nietzsche because then I'll, that's my favorite. Oh yeah, so we'll we're going to be here yeah. another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think I think Nietzsche is great, and I think I think people get um, give him a really bad rap because he was explaining what was going to happen. He wasn't. I don't necessarily think that he was like when he said God is dead. He wasn't saying that like he believed that. He was saying that God is dead because we killed him. No, mm-hmm. that's that was the first line of my book. I mean, they were champion, they championing leftists and atheists champion God is dead by Nietzsche as thinking that he was saying it as a good thing. Right. When he was saying it as a lament. He was like, no, saying, no, no, this, this is, is bad. bad. It's going to be bad. really it's bad. Way worse. Right. That's what he said. Don't, don't do this. And yeah. then, and then he, he, that predated yeah. uh, world war one predated world war two. Yeah. He saw where things were going. Right. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Well, <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. The more, the more, the more, the merrier. Guys, thank you so much for watching. This has been a special episode, and you got a longer episode. You got a, a thirty-minute longer episode than you're used to, all wow. because of Jack. Well, so. it's I came in late. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's okay. No, but thank you so much for being on, guys. We go live every single day, every single weekday at two thirty Pacific, five thirty Eastern. You can check us out if you'd rather listen. Go to Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review on all those apps so that we know that you love the show. Everybody else knows that you love the show. Plus, it is giving. Tuesday. What greater organization to give to than PragerU? We're bringing you videos from all the greatest thought leaders in the world. One of them being Jack, which is amazing. You're going to get a Stories of Us video from him. Coming Coming soon. soon. Don't miss it, guys. We're going to be back tomorrow with some hot stories, some hot takes, some hot guests. 
possibly. Yeah. Hot hosts. I mean, not hotter than today's guest. <laughs> not, nothing no. will be hotter than today's guest. No, no that half sip is <laughs> quite stunning. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bye.